Welcome to another episode of the Collective Evolution Podcast. Um, here we're going to continue our exploration into some of these deeper um, themes and, and various concepts and, and frames of looking at things as we explore this question of, of how do we create uh, a more thriving world, for example. And, um, at, you know, we're going to be talking today about probably one of my my favorite subjects or set of subjects as they all kind of relate to each other um, that I've loved exploring over the last 15 or 20 years. And, and it relates to this idea of interconnection and complexity and systems, uh, as well as, you know, sort of what birthed out of that for me was a, a bit of a pathway to change. Um, and when we talk about that, we'll go back to a project that um, we started way back in 2010 that uh, some of you might remember, but uh, has been sort of on the back burner for quite a while. But this is, I think, one of the most important subjects because we're looking at, as a society, a breakdown of, of so many things happening in our world. Um, and our world and the systems we have are actually complex systems. And as these complex systems break down, we, we seek solutions and we want to know what's going on. But oftentimes we have a very simplistic or reductionist view uh, of our complex systems thinking that there there's something where you can change one thing and the whole thing will just you know fix itself and this frame of looking at things is not solving the problems because we're missing not only the the, the complex understanding of our systems but that the nature of our systems as a whole and the worldviews that drive them are actually not producing a world that we are trying to create it, it it's it's limited to producing what it, exactly what it is producing and, uh, and the more we begin to understand the nature of our systems and how we need to change the way we look at them, the more we can clearly define the problems that we do have and thus bring about the solutions. So by talking about this, we are, in essence, creating a frame of mind, a frame of being that allows us to define our issues much more clearly such that we can actually solve them as opposed to a poorly defined problem that we're not solving um, with the solutions that we create. So that's kind of what the importance of these topics are. And I, I, I want to talk about this uh, initially with a bit of a example. It's a story that uh, actually happened real life at a mastermind I was at, um, a business mastermind. It was a, it was a great event, um, lots of great people there. And um, we were sitting around a campfire at one point and somebody asked me about you know the future of collective evolution. And this had to have been in maybe 2017, maybe 2018. And, um, you know, they're asking me my thoughts, hey, what are you going to do moving forward? What's your big vision? You know, what's this, that, whatever. And I, I can't remember the exact conversation, but I responded with something as simple as, you know, I hope there is a time where collective evolution is not needed. And what I meant by that, and, and that sort of had a little bit of a, you know, taken aback reaction from the audience. Uh, what I meant by that was that I wanted to see a time where the purpose of what I created, so I created Collective Evolution to solve a problem, I, well, technically to address many problems, but you know, one of them was creating better communication, better dialogue amongst people, um, improving the way we navigate the news and information landscape, i.e. improving sense-making. Um, another one was to sort of reframe or re-examine some of our worldviews and, and bring in this question of personal transformation. Like There was a lot of different pieces to the puzzle, but Generally, I wanted to ignite these conversations. That was the purpose, to ignite these conversations within people. And then maybe others would, would pick up on the various types of conversations that we were igniting and create more specific solutions for each one of these things. And if there came a time where we didn't need to ignite these conversations anymore, either collective evolution would cease to be, i.e. it would solve the problem because we were focused on solving the problem. That was our goal. 
solving the problem of let's ignite. The, these conversations are not ignited. Let's ignite them, right? And if that was done, then collective evolution's purpose would be done. Or you would take collective evolution and you would change it to do something totally different um, to solve a new problem or a new um, set of challenges that we face, right? To, to explore a new set of ideas. And the key there was this, this world view, I guess, or this feeling that I had, which was that when you create something, you shouldn't be you know, focused on just maintaining it and making sure that it stays forever and making sure that it lives forever and making sure that we justify its, its necessity constantly, constantly, constantly. But more so, are we actually trying to solve something? And if we are, let's go and tackle that and do that. And when it's time to move on, it's time to move on. And this is an important concept as we go into this because we have to have that level of really looking at what is the purpose of what we're doing in our society and what the systems are. And are they actually, when we set up solutions within our system right now, are we setting them up to solve things or are we setting them up so that someone can justify that we keep needing them over and over and over again because we need to have jobs over and over and over again because we build an egoic structure sometimes around our ideas that we need to justify it over and over and over again, but we're not actually solving what we're seeking to solve. So this is uh, hugely important as we, as we discuss this moving forward. And so we see within that there's this subject of a cultural enlightenment um, to some extent that needs to occur as if we're going to be changing the way we view things and we're going to be looking at things in a societal um, way where we need to solve some of the systems and some of the structures that we have. Um, and we have a society, we have a culture that engages in a particular way with how we decide to engage in politics, how we decide to engage in something like education or something like academics or science or whatever, all these different fields that we're all engaged within. If we're going to have a new frame, a new worldview through which how we're going to look at these things, then this needs to happen at a cultural level, right? We need to culturally begin to discuss what we're going to discuss today, um, which is, you know, understanding our systems on a deeper level, understanding the complexity involved and having the desire of really solving problems as opposed to the desire of, I just want my side to win or my political sphere to win or whatever it might be. We need a cultural change, a cultural enlightenment. This, these discussions need to happen at a cultural level, at a deeper level. And so, you know, really this is about not just this podcast helping to do that, but, but many other podcasts and, and other people's work that are seeking to do the same thing is ultimately looking at producing this cultural change. So it's not just a small group of people talking about this, but many, many people in our culture talking about this and, and sort of shifting and changing and seeding um, the way we view our world is a really important part of this process. So um, I want to say here, again, as we talk about our systems, the, the systems around us are not set up for us to thrive. I think I mentioned that in one of the previous episodes that when you really take a close look, our systems are meant for economic growth. They're meant for, you know, sort of this, this constant pursuit of more, 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 more. The nature of the systems itself, whether it's capitalism and the way we build everything out of that, um, it's set up to do that. It's set up to incentivize that. It's not set up to produce a, a thriving individual. But not only that, it's set up to incentivize the destruction of people right for for the economy the destruction of our commons which is something like nature for the economy and even when we try and insert solutions like well you know that company isn't allowed to go and hurt the environment that way they're trying to find a workaround to that uh, loophole because they're incentivized to do so they're sorry they're trying to find a workaround to that uh, regulation because they're they're tr they're incentivized to make more and more money and, and in fact the system 
pushes them that they need to make more and more money. So we're finding ways, the nature of our system is let's find ways to get around the regulations that we set up to protect the environment because it's not really economically viable to continue to do things under such tight regulations, right? So this is a, 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 in essence getting into understanding that the nature of our systems is not setting up the world to thrive. It's not just about corruption. It's not just about evil people or, you know, a, a bad cabal per se, but that it's about looking at the underlying nature of our systems and the worldview that drives them and kind of getting to this level of understanding what needs to go on. Like I mentioned at the beginning, when we begin to understand how things actually function and the interconnected relationships that are going on back and forth, we begin to clearly see that this is what the problem is or here is what the set of problems are. Let's now talk about the solutions because What's happening is, is, is people are beginning to notice in a big way that there is something seriously wrong with the underlying nature of our systems. And there is a, a deep meaning crisis that is being produced as a result and people are not thriving. People are not doing well. There's increase in uh, mental uh, uh, challenges. There's, there's just there's stuff all over the place that is happening. People are not thriving. And as this continues to happen, we're seeing complex systems, which is what our world is, break down. And they're breaking down into so much polarization and so many issues, exposing the various underlying um, sort of challenges that we have in, in navigating our world, right? We, we, we want to be very black and white in our thinking. We want to be very tribal in our thinking. And these are producing these issues. So we ultimately need to begin to kind of understand what's happening because there's this felt sense that something deep needs to change. And when you start looking really closely at it and you start really getting a magnifying glass and looking at the nature of our challenges, you start seeing all this interconnectedness, all this complexity, but you also begin to see that it's likely the case that our systems, the, the entirety of our systems need an overhaul, need a very big change because they're not producing uh, a state where we're gonna be you know, around in a meaningful way, say 50, 100 years from now. And I'm not just talking about like climate uh, change or anything. I'm talking about really look at the nature of what is degrading, the quality of life, the quality of our, of our mental state and all these sorts of things, the, the polarity, the um, push towards potentially more war. You know, how long before the quality of life all over the place is, is really not that great, right? Um, and that's kind of why there's this need to look at the entirety of the systems and people who are, are taking the time to look at that are starting to understand that, yes, our systems need an overhaul. And we've been talking about this for a very long time. I know a lot of other people have been talking about this, even people before, you know, we ever started Collective Evolution had been talking about this in books and, and Buckminster Fuller was, was really big on these ideas. This is all over the place, right? This is not a new idea. There's nothing novel that I'm sharing here, um, but there are different ways of looking at it and framing it. And one of those ways is actually one of the, the, the deep challenges that we have right now is the fact that the Great Reset and Klaus Schwab, right, in this whole discussion has sort of come along. And in some ways, I think this sort of 1%, if you will, or this, this very powerful elite group of people around the world are actually trying to hijack this conversation of new system and new societal design and pull it away from grassroots and independent thinkers and bring it into um, this very sort of, uh, again, sort of controlling authoritative technocratic worldview that is trying to frame the conversation around, we know what's best, we know that this deep change in our system needs to happen, and we're gonna do it for you, and we're gonna kinda tell you what it's gonna look like and where it's gonna go. And the, the reality of the situation is, is you can, you're gonna find out that as you explore this question a lot more, 
what a lot of people like myself and, and others out there who are having these ideas and are talking about these ideas are going to say things that are going to sound a little bit similar to like what Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset and what these guys are saying because they're, in my view, to some extent, they're trying to hijack the conversation for their own interests and their own agendas. And by nature of what we're talking about here, it's going to sound similar. And it's going to be important for us, again, to be able to dive into this complexity, to be able to dive into nuance and be able to hold different perspectives and understand where one might lead versus where another might lead versus just saying, well, if you're talking about redesigning society, you sound like Klaus Schwab, you sound like the Great Reset, therefore you're bad and we're going to throw you out, right? And that's a lot of what is happening in our world right now is this very black and white thinking that is not leading us... Um, anywhere meaningful and i do believe that it's upon us as a citizenry to understand what's happening and we be the ones to engage with creating this new world and then not just leave it up to hey i voted therefore i've done something meaningful no no how do we actually engage how do we actually be part of this and if we don't begin adopting an understanding of of what's going on within our world and, and improving our ability to understand these complex situations I'm not saying you need to understand the entirety of the world, but just being able to, to understand the principles of looking at things from a more complex manner, um, I think we're going to be guided towards something that isn't ideally the world that, that we want. So we have to move out of this simplistic thinking, start developing a little bit more of a, of a complex understanding of what's going on and move forward there. Um, so let's start defining some key th terms here. Um, looking at, for example, complicated systems versus complex systems. So a complicated system is something like a car, right? This is a, a sum of parts that, that creates a whole. And when you, for example, take a spark plug out of a car, you know that it's going to stop working. The engine's going to stop firing. You have a pretty good idea of exactly what's going to happen if you remove a, a spark plug from a car. And, and many of the parts within a car, you know what's going to happen when you take something out. Versus a complex system is something where it's, it's a whole, but it's not necessarily just a sum of parts. It's, it's a whole that it's much harder to understand. It's much less uh, predictable of what would happen if you remove one part, right? So nature, for example, is a complex system. The nature of our, of our entire uh, societal systems are complex. Human beings are complex systems, our bodies, right? And what, what this essentially means, like if you were to take, for example, squirrels out of a forest, what exactly what will happen to that forest? What will happen in one year, two years, three years, four years, five years? We don't really know. We know that there might be some disruption of the food chain and you might be able to you know, sort of scratch your head and make some estimations of what would happen, but you don't really know what's going to happen to anything from you know, the insects to the, the other animals to the, the food sources to the plant life to the soil. Like you could have over the course of five or 10 years something you could never have predicted by removing a single element, right? And that's because it's a complex system that is much more difficult to uh, sort of navigate and diagnose what's going on. Well, right now, humans are looking at our societal structures as a complicated system where you can just go and, and touch one part and fix it and nothing's going to happen down line versus our societal system is a complex system. We need to start understanding that you can't just fix one thing over here and expect that you're not going to break a few things over here. And we saw this a lot with uh, COVID-19 and lockdowns. 
and how you know people were all we had this reductionist worldview of, of obsessing over reducing cases reducing cases reducing cases reducing cases reducing cases and we saw this over and over and over again and so we not only built a whole population to accept this idea of lockdowns but you even had experts thinking it was a good idea regardless of so many uh, you know experts trying to say hey i don't know if you know lockdowns are a great idea given this this nature of this virus or given the nature of this pandemic, we might actually create a lot more problems downstream within our complex system than we realize. And of course, that's what we're seeing happening, right? We're seeing huge amounts of damages that are happening, you know, down the line that will probably happen from years or for years moving forward. And the damages that occurred there are likely going to be much worse and probably are much worse than than what occurred um, with COVID-19 and what probably would have occurred had we had just done focus protection and not necessarily, um, you know, these harsh lockdowns. And so here's an example that's very recent, that's very new that we just saw um, where understanding the complexity of a system and not just your political worldview. If your political worldview is, I believe in freedom, I, you know, I, I don't want to um, have lockdowns because we, sh- we deserve to be free. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a clear understanding of the complexity of a system and how different actions are going to to go on. It just means that you have a belief system about how freedom should look. And yes, you might've been right about freedom in this particular case, producing a, a bit of a better outcome, but what about the next time? What about a future instance or something that happens down the road where things are a little bit different, right? It's important that we take a step back and we get out of ideologies and into kind of understanding at a more, I would say, mature level, what is actually going on um, in our world. Um, And this kind of includes the discussion at the end of the day of why lockdowns, you know, why did we have um, potentially the suppression of treatments and all these sorts of things when we talk about COVID is getting back into incentive structures, right? Our systems around us and why they need an overhaul is because they're incentivized to sort of produce destructive or bad behavior. There's a lot of incentive there. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that every pharmaceutical company is somehow, you know, um, unknowingly, and again, I'm saying this isn't 100%. Sometimes people are doing things, taking actions, not knowing what the intended, what the consequences will be down line, right? Sometimes they're just so focused on, okay, well, you know, this is what we're supposed to do because this is what's going to make us money and they don't see what's going to occur. And then when they see what occurs, they're like, well, there's not a good incentive for us to actually fix the problem because it's actually cheaper for us to, you know, just pay a lawsuit than it is for us to pull this drug off the market, right? So in a lot of cases, there's incentive structures built within our economy that uh, that in within our societal systems that are producing bad behavior, that are producing things that we don't necessarily desire, but companies can't easily not join those incentives because if they decide, you know what, that may not be the best thing to do, they start finding out very, very quickly that they can't compete in the marketplace very easily because somebody else will go and take the incentive and do that, right? They will follow in on what the, the, the game of the system is allowing them to, to, to build from, right? Like if they're able to build off of doing things that are not the greatest, then you're at a disadvantage by not playing that game. And we see this a lot with social media. Social media began as this beautiful place to connect and and do different things. And, you know, that's kind of the vision that we have of it. And you could see that, hey, this was a great place. I remember, you know, when Facebook first started and how useful it was for our business and how much, um, you know, we gained in terms of 
connecting with people all around the world and bringing different ideas and different discussions. But then we started to see that, well, they brought in personalization uh, engines. They brought in um, you know, this idea of advertising. And when the advertising came in, the incentive structure was now for, to make more money. And so the companies were now incentivized to keep uh, people on the platform. And when you mix in the personalization, now all of a sudden the company is like, well, if I personalize, I get people addicted to the platform and they keep going down this rabbit hole. So that starts to break down sense making. But at the same time, I, I'm now getting so clear on the data of who this person is so that I can sell them to their, their, their eyeballs to an, an advertiser. So now the money, the incentive structure of, of that social media engine is actually producing a situation where the person is now going deeper and deeper and deeper into bias and they're going deeper and deeper into sort of... Um, the self-affirming uh, bits of content that are constantly just reaffirming how they feel, but you're also hijacking people's consciousness through usually emotion and, and, and drama and virality so that they actually get into a physiological state where they become addicted to the platform itself. So you're creating all these downline aspects of, of bad health, of bad mental states, of bad sense-making in exchange for the social media engine to make money off advertisers. So the incentive structure of our system produced that end result of an entire society of people that are hijacked by social media and who don't know what's going on in the world because they're so stuck on social media engines, giving them the same piece of information over and over and over again to keep up their bias. That breaks down communication, more polarization, right? So what do we see there? We saw that you think, we, generally, we, we think that the issue is, oh, well, you know, it's just that, or it's, it's just this one thing over here, or people are just dumb, or people are just this, or people are just, we have all these like singular ideas that we might throw at the problem. Social media companies are just evil. But really what's going on is the social media company was incentivized by the system as a whole. And if they didn't do that, another social media engine would, and their social media engine would become irrelevant. Right, so you now have this race to the bottom dynamic, and there's a, an article on Collective Evolution um, that I wrote about this race to the bottom dynamic, which is really just this idea that the incentive structures of our system are are kind of encouraging all of these different businesses in whatever industry to produce the cheapest of cheapest of cheapest product, so that they can compete the best in the marketplace. Because if they're not going to produce the cheapest of product and create the, the biggest margin, then somebody else will. And there's very few like industries that can sort of rely on this sort of triple bottom line where you can you can say hey you know i can care about this care about i can care about the uh, my, my bottom line i can care about the profit and i can care about the sort of the the quality of the product so that the the, the quality of the product is, is good for the people but also good for the environment right it's very difficult for a company to do that in in a lot of play in a lot of industries so they have to compete so the race to the bottom is this idea of how do I create the, the most dominant monopolizing structure because if I don't do it, someone else will. And then when they do it, they will have a power over me and be able to dominate me in the marketplace. The nature of our systems are producing that dynamic. How do we expect a better world if the nature of our systems are literally incentivizing companies to produce that dynamic? They're incentivized to hijack our consciousness. They're incentivized to make us polarized against each other. They're incentivized to break down sense making and then we have all these problems in society and we go ah well it's it's just fake news right <laughs> it's not it's not fake news it's literal it's the literal incentive structure of of our system so we have to begin to understand things on this level what what happened there as we went through these examples was looking at the interconnected nature 
of what our systems and the complexity of our systems and what the incentive structures are and what they're producing. So instead of it just being, well, it's the Democrats' fault or, or it's the Republicans' fault or it's you know the evil cabal's fault or it's this or whatever it is, it's, no, this is the world that we're living in. It's, it's designed to create this issue. Um, and this is, uh, this is a, a very, very important thing um, to sort of understand. And if you were to look at it from the standpoint of, you know, do powerful, uh, what you might call elite figures, do they do they enjoy this? Do they en do they enjoy the idea? Do they do they gain from the idea that the populace is generally uninformed, divided, um, believing all these different ideas? They they don't really understand the underlying nature. They have very simplistic views of what's going on in the world, and they they don't take the time to look at the complexity of what's actually taking place. Do they benefit from that? Well, of course, because it's harder to see where the issues are when you're keeping people on a surface level simplistic view of what's going on. So when a alternative media source is yanking you into this, um, you know, this, you know what, hey, this is the Republican perspective on this particular issue, but you think, well, hey, I'm watching alternative media and, you know, it's better. But no, you're actually just being hijacked by now a different ideology and it's we're not actually getting to the core of what the issue is we're actually just seeing it from a different simplistic lens um, and so at the end of the day we need to begin to adopt this more complex problem solving framework where if we want to clearly define the problems that exist we need to be open to exploring on this level and and avoid jumping to conclusions so much and just being a little bit more intentional about how we go about things. Um, because if we don't sort of define the problem clearly, as mentioned before, we're gonna create solutions that appear to solve the problem, but because the problem wasn't defined clearly, we're actually solving the, the we're creating solutions, we're spending time and energy creating solutions without actually understanding what the problem is. And so it becomes a non-solution at the end of the day. And as I mentioned, we see this a lot in the alternative media world where, well, we're alternative media, therefore we're independent. Therefore we pulled the corporate money out of media. Well, the issue is not corporate money and media. The issue is corporate money and media, bad sense making, um, you know, it, it, sort of the, the desire to maintain and, and control a political narrative, right? These are all of the, the problems that make up a media company that's not focused on pure sense-making, right? And so it, you could be an independent media or you could create alternative media and say, well, we, we solved the problem by creating alternative media, but you're still producing or still contributing to the bad sense-making because you failed to understand that by still being highly political and allowing those politics to choose your stories and to... Um, you know, choose certain facts and leave out other facts. Like you can, you can take a set of facts and you can take some and leave some out and pull some of these facts out of context and create a narrative that sounds great and say, well, I operated entirely off of facts, but it's like, yeah, but you didn't tell the whole story. <laughs> so you didn't actually inform the person about the entirety of the situation. You used your political lens to cherry pick your facts so that you can create a factual story that actually misleads people. Right. And, and so this is why I say sense making has to be the underlying sort of understanding. If, if we're not truly making sense of what's going on in our world, we're not solving our media issue. We're not solving our our, our uh, information landscape problem. So you have to pull the politics. You have to pull all this stuff out of the media to solve the problem. Um, so that would be a, a good example of how we can get to some solutions there. Um, you know, there's an article I wrote. As we talk about interconnection here, there's an article I wrote 
um, that I want to share something from just very, very briefly here. Um, and it's the article title is a new worldview is emerging that can change our entire perspective on reality. And um, I kind of this is a little bit more what we're going to talk about in an upcoming episode. But I wanted to sort of touch on it here a little bit, because this idea of complexity and, and complex systems also comes with this more, um, I want to say, an, a word that has a, a greater sense of, of spirit within it. Right. Um, and what I mean by that is, is it's this word called interconnectedness. And I want to share a quick paragraph from uh, the article. Within First Nations communities, they embrace the idea of interconnectedness via a term, all my relations. This connects them to their families, communities, ancestors, and future descendants, the land, and all plant and animal life. Even within this worldview, these cultures exhibit a scientific understanding of the earth, whether cycles of seasons, medicinal and food sources, harvesting and creating everything they need from nature's abundance. What am I sharing here within this particular piece as it relates to this, this spirit of interconnectedness is that the, as we begin to expand and we start to understand the complexity of our systems, we also have to understand what is our relationship to all the other natural parts of life and how we are interconnected in, in a fundamental way between everything from our material systems to the, the, you know, the, the, the relationship we have with each other and how much we really do impact each other in so many ways that we may not realize until we internalize this idea of interconnectedness within our worldview, right? And when we do that, we begin to look at the way we interact with each other completely differently, the way we interact with our uh, natural environment completely differently. And if we have this idea of interconnectedness so deep and innate within our being that we we can sense and feel that connection. It's not just cognitive, but it's, it's, it's physiological. It's something that is even non-material. When we start to develop that, it starts to change the way we feel about the decisions that we make. And we think more deeply about the choices that we're making because we have this, this sense that a small choice has a deep impact in a lot of different ways. And it just gets us to slow down to think about things a little bit more deeply, be a little more intentional. And it, it can feel really overwhelming, all the things that I've said, and this idea of interconnected, oh my, every choice I make is gonna impact something. It's not meant to necessarily feel and be that way, although it might initially feel that way when you first think about this idea of, of thinking about things in this way. But the idea is that when we begin to explore ideas on this level, right, we're going to find that balance. We're going to find where you know, it, it's, it's, it becomes like almost too much to think about it, obsessive to think about it versus, you know, kind of understanding how an action I take over here to pollute, you know, something there might actually run downstream and affect this entire community's drinking water, right? It's just this idea of I make a decision for me and my individual self and opening it up to say, yeah, but how does that potentially affect other people? Right, and it just becomes a little bit more of a guiding force in our cultural enlightenment that um, that needs to occur here. That's kind of the the argument I'm making a little bit here um, is that this has to become a, a bit of a cultural change. Um, and sort of wrapping this up here, I just want to briefly talk about a pathway to change and the project that we started way back in 2010 that we kind of put on the back burner. Some of you may remember it um, called the Shift Project, and the idea was how do we paint a picture of a world that's possible when we start looking at human potential, when we start looking at what technologies are available and that are out there and that are really fascinating, um, when we start looking at 
um, the nature of, of how, if we start changing our worldview, how could the world look? Like if we were to redesign society and redesign systems with a deeper understanding of who we are as people physiologically, but even, you know, within, uh, you know, how we want to relate to each other, how we want to relate to earth, right? If we were to design a new world, what would that look like? And then, oh, you could say, okay, well, that's cool. Here's like a cool vision of what things could be like. Well, here's where we're at now. And how do we create a bridge to move there? Right? So that's what the purpose of the shift project was to kind of create this, you know, some playful, fluid visions of what was possible in the future to inspire people towards seeing possibility. And then, and then at the same time, hold this understanding of what our current world is and, and the system, the complex systems view of understanding what the problems are. Because if we don't understand what the actual deeper problems are within our society at the moment, we're going to create a future world that is doesn't really address. Because remember, we talked about this idea of if we don't clearly define the problem, we will create solutions that don't really solve everything until we clearly define the problem. So by this exploration of, of our current world and understanding and seeing all the breakdowns that are occurring, the, ex, the corruption coming to the surface and people understanding all this stuff and this big awakening of sorts that's happening is the moment is the phase of us beginning to open up to understanding what the nature of our system really is, what's going on, and how to define what some of the problems are in a complex way so that we can then go about creating a new world moving forward. And that's kind of what the shift project was. Now, of course, within that, there's things that we need to begin to accept because I see a lot of activists, I see a lot of different people sort of struggling with, you know, how do I create an absolute decision on what's happening given that we have existing systems and we have these future systems and I don't want to reinforce the existing system. So how do I, how do I create the future world now? Right. And this kind of goes into a, a bit of an understanding of we need short-term and long-term solutions that we're playing with as well as in-system and out-system solutions that we're playing with. So in the short term, you know, there might be something that really needs our, our engagement and addressing right now that might utilize the existing systems a little bit, um, but that it's 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 kind of framed within a long-term game, a long-term plan to move away from these systems. So for example, it's almost impossible to fully exit our current social media landscape because if you wanna reach people, I mean, social media, like it or not, most of the big social media landscapes, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Google, right? Most of these, they're the, the digital town square, right? They're where people go to, to discuss things and where you can reach people. You could go to some of these smaller uh, social media engines out there and have a great experience. We have a private uh, social media site for our membership and it's fantastic, I, I love it. But it's important for me to share my message still on Facebook and on Twitter and on YouTube because we're drawing in more people, more voices to these types of discussions through utilizing those public town squares. So in the short term, I utilize those in-system solutions to produce a long-term solution down the line, right? And, and this is that's just a one minor example of, of playing with this idea of short-term, long-term solutions, holding them both at the same time and knowing where your energy is sort of playing into a short-term solution and a long-term solution and not getting too absolutist about, well, I have to choose one and only one and, you know, because then we become paralyzed, right? And that's oftentimes what happens with a lot of people is like, I'll never use Facebook or I will never use YouTube or I will never use it as a, okay, but then you might find that 
you can no longer communicate and discuss with people depending on on what your industry is like for me in in the uh industry of content creation and what everything that i'm doing with collective evolution and the pulse if i don't use social media it becomes I'm, I'm in trouble. Like I, I can't, I can't reach people. So it's really important. Um, and then of course, in system out system, it's the same sort of idea. There are some, uh, there are some times where we're going to have to use the system to, to do some, some usually short-term things. And then there are times where we have to really think outside the system and create parallel systems, especially for long-term things, or even in the short-term utilizing out system, uh, solutions. And of course it gets a lot easier to sort of explore these things when we get into specific examples, which we will in future episodes. But the idea is here, there's complexity in understanding and there's nuance in understanding how to think about things with these concepts in mind. Um, another key concept in the uh, pathway to change is really looking at this this necessity for having an educated populace. So uh, a, a population, when we talk about the cultural enlightenment aspect of this, um, it's it's having a population that is educated on understanding what is going on in our world and not having these really political, really black and white, you know, my side versus your side points of view. That is not going to help us sort of define problems and, and move forward more clearly. That's just us fighting with each other about our different ideologies. And so we have to now look at like we all enjoy rights to some extent right and we we enjoy you know being able to do certain things like for example you you drive a car but you know having a right to do something it comes usually with the responsibility um, of doing it in a particular way and and it's and if you were to just have responsibilities per se like you know you're 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 responsible with having to do this but you have no right to do these things over here you know you're in essence sort of a servant right you're you have things that you have to do that you're responsible for that you have to get done but you have no right to anything right this was this was like this for uh, many many people back in the day um but when people began to get rights there's this need for responsibilities is still there right so if we have the right to drive a car we're responsible for driving it well and learning how to drive it properly and being taught how to play within the confines of, of doing so within our society so that we don't be destructive towards each other. So with the rights comes the responsibilities. And when we're talking about an educated populace and we're talking about, let's say, something like the right to vote, then we we should be responsible with our education so that we know what we're actually voting on and we know that the implications of our vote or we know how our system is functioning such that when we choose to vote we're, we're not just voting down party lines or we're not just voting down ideologies we're we're voting down you know a, a, a particular understanding of what is actually going on so we are becoming more and more responsible not to look at our leaders, not to look at our elected officials, that system is broken, right? We're more responsible as a citizenry to take responsibility for the state of our world and to sort of get on board and to start you know, understanding and learning this stuff um, a little bit more deeply. Um, even if it's just a little piece, we're all going to take little pieces to this. But if we all have the same spirit behind it, if the spirit behind our exploration is the stuff that I'm talking about here and is the stuff that we've talked about in previous um uh, episodes, which again, it's not an ideology. It's just principles, just basic principles. If the spirit of these things is present, we will move forward in, in a more meaningful and peaceful way. But if we start going back into all of the old world ways of thinking and the old world uh, worldviews, we're going to just continue warring with each other uh, over and over again. So at, at the end of the day, we're uh, in a situation where everything that's occurring is occurring 
that's acting as an evolutionary pressure for us to move forward. And this is an important part to all of this, that evolutionary pressure is not just us looking at our external systems, but looking back at ourselves and saying, with all the things that we talked about, what is, what sort of characteristics of a human being need to be on board for us to be able to embrace the world in this way, to be able to correct our biases and to be able to correct our tribal thinking and to be able to look at it and say, wait a minute, where am I closing off because I'm just choosing to close off versus, you know, and, and being sort of willfully ignorant of what's happening around me versus how do I just open up and really just let the truth be the truth and, and see where our sense making and our spirit of finding synthesis takes us, right? Um, this is, we, we need what from the previous episode, this embodiment piece on board. We need this spirit of curiosity, this, this regulation within our nervous system that allows us to be curious again, that allows us to be, um, you know, sort of willing to connect, wanting to connect, wanting to move towards this spirit of synthesis versus kind of just allowing ourselves to be high, strong, um, stressed out, polarized by social media, hijacked emotionally by social media, hijacked by our ideologies, and just holding on, holding on, holding on, holding on, right? If we're going to be like that, and that's going to be the state of our body and the state of our being, then it's going to be really hard to do a lot of the things that we talked about. But by taking time to slow down, becoming embodied again, getting that presence going, you know, getting back into the state of curiosity, we're going to be able to play with this stuff little by little as we go a lot more easily. So, the personal transformation piece to all of this is crucial. Anywho, that's it. That's all. I, I went over time a little bit here on this one again, but I, I think this is an important one. I still feel like we just scratched the surface, didn't really get too deeply into a lot of the stuff that I would love to talk about here, but um, I want to just create this sort of bite-sized piece and uh, we'll continue in future episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to share this podcast with uh, somebody you think would be interested and we'll catch you next time. Well, that's it. That's all. I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, I want to thank the members of the Explore Lounge who are helping us to continue doing this work. If you want to support this podcast and all of the work we do here at The Pulse and Collective Evolution, consider becoming a member of our Explore Lounge. As a member, you get access to exclusive video content. You can watch all of these episodes ad-free, and you get access to our private social network where you can discuss and learn about many topics with a like-minded community of changemakers. It's truly an incredible place to be, not just for the benefits that you get, but you're directly supporting our dedicated team here at Collective Evolution and The Pulse. Visit explorelounge.one, that's dot O-N-E, to learn more.